guys, what's up? So I'm finally getting around to talk about my upbringing. And I just want to let you know that the format is different. My conversations or my, you know, talking to you has been spread out through the course of like over like two months now. So this one episode that you're about to hear, it has spanned throughout the couple of months. So you hit me at different phases and different realizations. So a lot of things I've been talking to other people during interviews, you're like, oh, Melissa, why are you acting shocked now? Well, it's because it was before I had the interview and I'm like, oh, I just discovered this at the time of that interview. And then I recorded like, oh, look what I discovered. So it's kind of like going back in time. Um, there will be a lot of like music interludes and so forth just to show the transition of time. Um, what else? So I'm trying this whole storytelling thing. So if it doesn't flow, my bad. It's the first time I'm trying this out. So I hope it flows. hope you understand what I'm trying to do. And as time moves on, I'll get better and better. So <sighs> here we go. Okay, so I guess the first thing I need to do is find out who the architect is uh okay so first thing i will do is dc has this site called history quest dc okay so when i click on it i am under the dc.gov office of planning and it says here the application history quest dc is an interactive gis map that provides historical data for blah 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 blah. the map offers several blah 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 featured layers in the map the historical data of dc buildings provide information from a variety of sources on the original date of construction architects owners and builders of the city's historic buildings okay so i would click on it and it takes me to a gis map arc gia gis in the upper right hand corner I will type in the address and it comes up and I will click on the building and BAM I have information okay so the building name is Reverend Alfred J Tyler house it lists the square a uh, lot number year it was built in 1971 the source is washington post january 3rd 1969 all right okay here you go the original owner mal airy baptist church really that, is, that sounds like a black church <laughs> oh you know what the church, I remember that church. That, oh, I remember that church. Okay, all right. Architect, 
Chloethal word smell. Are you serious? Chloethal. Huh. Purpose building. Okay, permit notes. Apartment has as many as five bedrooms. Third major housing project in DC's Northwest One urban renewal area an effort to rehouse displaced persons. Northwest One. I never heard of Northwest One. I didn't know that. All right, all right, all right. Notes. Major renovation in 1995. Lot 0176 was created on September 13th, 1968 by the DC Redevelopment Land Agency. It's eight stories, and that's that's it. Oh, okay. All right, so this is what we've learned so far. Tyler House, his full name is Reverend Alfred J. Tyler House. And that's why, okay, that makes sense. It's named after a reverend. All right. And, okay, it's built in 1971. The owners, it sounds like it was a black church that owned it, right? And they named it after a pastor. The architect, Chloe Thiel, is a woman, right? And she is like really prominent in DC. Like, okay, so back in the day, I used to do this lecture series called Women Architecture Lecture Series. And it ran for like, I did it for like four years. So um, I think it was the second year or maybe the third year. I can't remember. And I did an entire, like, uh, I almost called it episode, but uh, a lecture strictly on her. So I had Coke, Coke Florence. He was uh, the guy, uh, a Smith group. Um, I had, oh, that woman. Who's that woman's name? Um, oh, I can't remember her name now. But her father used to work for Chloe Thiel and I had another woman who 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 did walking tours of um Southwest one um which was the first urban renewal project for DC that's now like the wharf right so maybe okay so maybe I should divide this up into three parts um the owner, because I bet that was a fascinating story. I mean, that's a church used to own it. That's that's amazing. Secondly, a woman architect designed this building, and lastly, it was part of a urban renewal thing. So I think I'm gonna focus on the podcast is going to focus on all the, on those three things, and I think it's easier for me to at first get, dive into the architect considering I've already I have the resources to to get more information about that and then next is um I think I'm gonna do Northwest one which is kind of tie into the architect but this last part Mount Airy Baptist Church ah I never went to that church I passed it all the time growing up but um I never went inside my mom, she was a Catholic. She 
she and so we went to Holy Redeemer. So I was baptized in Holy Redeemer, which is not too far from where Tyler House is. So okay, so I guess my first step is to contact my sources for Cloethal. So I guess I gotta start writing emails. <laughs> Let me introduce to you Carolyn Crouch. She is the founder of this walking tour company called Washington Walks. And I found her, it was just a Google search, a couple of years ago when I was chair of the Women in Architecture lecture series. I was looking for her because I was doing a, a lecture on Chloe Thule Woodward Smith and she's familiar with her buildings down in Southwest so I contacted her told her my story about the podcast and everything and um, she agreed to meet with me and we actually um, decided to do a quick walk tour of uh, some of her Chloe Thule's buildings so what you're about to listen to is a walking tour. Uh, I also videotaped it. It'll take me some time to, of course, edit it out, edit, edit and make it presentable. Um, but I want I really want to get this podcast out first. So there'll be some points where you hear me talk and try to describe what you're looking at or what, what we were looking at. Um, again, I'm trying to tell a story. Hopefully it makes sense. But, um, Carolyn Crouch, of um, she is, um, she actually got her graduate degree in acting and, um, she moved in DC, she said in 94 in the Southwest. And um, she'll she'll explain it to you more further. But I'm all about supporting people. And so if you just check her out, it's WashingtonWalks.com. If you're ever in the area and you want a historical tour of D.C., she's the person to get it. Um, She's very knowledgeable and uh, she's friendly. She's wonderful. Like she, she really didn't have to do this for me and she did it anyway. So, um, support her again is Washington walks on one word.com. Um, if you're ever in the DC area, check her out. Is this your first episode? Uh, it will be my first episode talking about um how I grew up so I had like other interviews this has been mostly interviews with friends friends of friends Kara and I met up at Waterfront Metro Station and proceeded to walk on 4th Street Southwest going towards G Street Southwest oh if you can, if we can walk this is what we should do. Mm-hmm. So we have to Photoshop out that beige <laughs> building because that is an aberration. That's from the early 2000s. And that shouldn't be there, but the developer got that squeezed in there before 
Capitol Park could be declared historic. The building Carolyn is talking about is on I Street Southwest, and it sits between Potomac Place Towers and Capitol Park townhomes. Let's go to the end of this block, and uh, on the other side of the street, there's a Heritage Trail sign with a photo of her and the um, plan for Capitol Park. But all of this. down to Delaware Avenue, and then from I to G, off to the highway, it's Capitol Park, high-rises and townhomes, and it's the first thing that Hakeel Willard Smith designed itself. And on the strength of it, its success, then she got the commission to do other very large project on the south of M Street called Harbor Square. And Harbor Square was going to be the most expensive, a little more high-end residential life. And this was going to be more middle-class, family-friendly, because this had the combination of these apartment buildings with many different floor plans. You could have an efficiency, you could have a studio, you have a one-bedroom. She designed um, like panels that could, um, like almost sliding doors so you could divide your space up how you wanted it. Everybody had natural light, but you could also on the corner, get a townhouse. Really cute. So how many buildings has she done in Southwest? Oh, well, I mean, how many actual individual buildings? That's a good question. I mean, a, she's basically, more than a dozen. So she's basically Southwest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the most, if you want to see examples of her architecture this is the neighborhood there also is and i think i mentioned this when we talked on the phone that there's in in downtown the corner the intersection of connecticut avenue and l street yeah she did that office yes yeah, yeah three of them three of the four office buildings in that block that right yeah Right now, that's original Cathedral. And then behind it, on what was surface parking, is they the are putting in a new building. The building Carolyn was pointing to is Capitol Park Tower. And the construction she mentioned sits between Capitol Park Tower and the 395 freeway. Looking into this more, it's a 315 unit apartment building uh, and I got this information from UIP, Urban Investment Partners, and I'm assuming it's the developer of this project. According to the rendering, it has a pool, <laughs> two pools actually, one, it looks like one on the roof and the other one at ground level. And on the facade, it mimics the 
terracotta-esque lattice pattern on the windows. So when you look at either Potomac Park Tower or Capitol Park Tower, it, it, it undulates back and forth. The challenge for the urban renewal part of Southwest that because it was designed like with the last pieces like this. Yeah. Like this is a wide, look at this. Mm -hmm. You could put a building there. So there's a lot of pressure. I mean, like she worked with this landscape architect named Dan Kiley to put these buildings, because you might remember this. Um, so she's going to school in the late 30s and the 40s. And so she was studying planners. This guy wasn't an, he was like an urbanist. His name was Lewis Mumford. And then she had an architect teacher and they were all about these kind of garden, the garden city where you would have modernist buildings, but arranged not densely like we think of Manhattan, but in a, in a park-like setting. That is what she learned how to do. And she did it really, really well. So that's what she's done here at this point we are at the corner of fourth and g street southwest there is a heritage trail marker with a map of southwest heritage on one side and images of Clorito and dixon court as well as other images on the other side so we spend a majority of this conversation on that side Yes. So this we're standing over here right now. We're right in the corner. Mm -hmm. um, and this isn't even what she ultimately, because she, she designed a building here, and there's a big apartment building here. And see, this nice Dan Kylie Park is where that developer flunked down the new building in 2000. There she is. But this is a significant um, site because it was on this piece of real estate. When you when you look at if you look at like the urban renewal plan, the part of Southwest that they cut out to have their urban renewal plan appear, this area on the plan is called Area B. And there's Area C and there's Area D. Area B. I wonder if it even says it on this side. Capitol Park replaced Dixon Court, a set of alleys inside the block bordered by 3rd, 4th, H, and I Street. For years, the press and social reformers presented Dixon Court as a blight environment that incubated crime and disease. Its 43 tiny houses, lacking plumbing and green spaces, were chronically overcrowded and in need of repair. Yet when the court was the first to be demolished in 1954, a close-knit community was also destroyed. No. It replaced Dixon Court, and that's Area B. Yes, a set of alleys inside the block bordered by 3rd, 4th HI. Yep. And this is for years, the press and social reformers presented it as a blighted environment. 43 little houses. Yes. So, in Southwest, Dixon Court was indicative of this housing phenomenon. So this is, this is Dixon Court right here? Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah, so this is how they end up looking by the 1950s. And the, in the photograph on the back, too. But when they were first built, these little alley houses, so these houses behind the main streets, behind mm -hmm. the numbered and lettered streets, they were all 12 feet wide, 24 feet deep. And they would have two rooms on the first floor, two rooms on the second floor. So this is, here, there were alley houses already being built before the Civil War. But they, city-wide, they're much more of a um, post-Civil War phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And they were the perfect starter house. You know, they would have had in the back a pump and a privy. But who didn't have that? And there's all these people coming across the river from the south, newly emancipated people. And this would be the first neighborhood you arrived in. Because mm -hmm. you would either you're either gonna arrive into Georgetown across the bridge, or you're gonna come across the bridge from, you know, Arlington. This is where you end up. So a lot of people, this is their first neighborhood, their first point of entry, and this is where they stayed. So all these little alley houses, like you see here, mm -hmm. get constructed and they become home to people. And the problem is by, um, is there a photograph? Like, what's this photograph? No. Well, what is this one? It doesn't say the year. Too bad. But this is for sure the 20th century. Mm -hmm. I mean, this might be, I don't know. But they hadn't been improved. The majority of them didn't have um, running water inside. They didn't have electricity. They were still heating their homes by coal, stoves. Um, you might be multi-families in one building. They weren't good repair, but it was a community. And there had been generations of people living in these little alley houses, places like Dixon's before. But in the parlance of the day, and in the thinking of the day, they were considered slums, and they were considered undesirable, and they, we need, they need to, we need to take them down. And the people who lived in them didn't have, you know, they were disenfranchised politically and economically, so they, they could say no, but they didn't have enough clout. So in the end, the urban renewal plan that's passed and is going to be executed is not about rehabilitation of all this, like recreating these homes for these folks to live in. It's out with the old in, and in, in the, with new. the new. So it's in the When we talked about Dixon Court, it really brought back a comparison of Northwest One then and now. So Dixon Court also represented Northwest One during that same time period where you had these tiny homes uh, lacking plumbing and green space, basically where black folks lived and how it was deemed unsanitary. It, it blighted the environment. It just, it was crime infested. And it, it really brought me back to even where I grew up, right? That time period of the 90s where crime was just rampant in that area and how low-income folks, no matter where they were, 
they seem to destroy the environment. They seem to be riddled with crime. The field's plan, which is what's interesting about it, is it's quite dense, because this is only showing us this building. But then we know she did that building, mm-hmm. which ended up here. And then she did another building on High Street. And then all the, she, there's actually more townhouses that got built than what we see here. So this is quite dense. And I think that it's just so ironic that there was dense to support all these alley houses. And they're like too crowded. They're not nice. Ugh. What do we replace it with? Well, also dense housing, although in a park-like setting. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the argument would be like, you can house more people, yeah. right? That's, that's like, this is density, right? But hey, it's like, you got two floors. Correct. I can give you eight. Correct. Or, Correct. And I think saying, what, what, so these children, they need a place to play and they should have grass and trees. So this is going to give them that. So did they own this? Or Some did. of them did, but they also got people rented. Yeah. And so the redevelopment land agency was the uh, governmental kind of mediator mm-hmm. between the plan being executed and then how it was going to end up impact individuals. And they are the people that helped you find, if you couldn't move of your own accord, um, they were going to help you find another place in D.C. to live. And it was, it was going to be in public housing somewhere. I never knew she didn't. I almost lived here. Yeah, I lived yeah. here. This is the first place I lived when I came to D.C. <laughs> I, I had no idea what, what Southwest was. I had no idea who this woman was. But yeah, this is where I lived in an English basement in one of these townhouses. It was I mean, I, it's so neat to, to like live in one of her buildings without even knowing who she was, that she existed. But my English basement was one big room, but it had a patio and it had French doors. So I had so much light. I had a little, little kitchen, a little bathroom, but I had a washer, a little washer and dryer. Never had that. <laughs> my life, I thought I had like, get, you know, won the lottery. But it was, the buildings were nice. So my landlady, she lived upstairs. It was a three-level townhouse. She had the apartment upstairs. They were modest, but they were just, the design was really fine. Details, like, I always, when I do my walking tour, I always say to folks, okay, look at this building. And you'll love this as an architect. I mean, so we see she's using poured or molded concrete, right, for the skeleton. But then she has so much confidence, she uses brick. She uses this 19th century material to face the side of the building and even on this facade of the building. And then all those tiles, those hexagonal tiles that she uses to give visual interest and kind of gives rhythm with those balconies. And you can see it's not even all the same. And even how she's designed um, that area beneath the car park. It's just, she, she gave modernism um, class and flair in a unique way. I mean, she wasn't trying to do 
sort of the Seagram building. And she wasn't trying to do Mies van der Rohe. She was, she even did her own thing. So this is going to be <coughs> none of the projects in the New Southwest could could discriminate. There's no racially restricted real estate covenants allowed. If you were a developer and you wanted to get in on what was happening down here, if you had any history of restricted covenants in anything you developed, don't don't bother. You're not going to qualify. So over on the other side of the neighborhood, there's a also quite a handsome project called Tiber Island. Mm -hmm. She didn't design that, but um, WC and A and Miller Company. Yeah, they wanted to try to do that. It no, no. But they, didn't 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 he work for her at one point? Because I, I remember. I don't a know. A lot of a lot of. I don't know. DC um, prominent architects who worked for her. Ended up like Smith Group, like you know. Oh right, yeah. yeah, yeah, right, right. I don't know if if WC or AN worked for her, but they, well, like their projects in Northwest. I'm sure when they first did them, mm -hmm. those were off limits to probably Jewish people and African Americans. I'm assuming, mm -hmm. um, so they couldn't do it. So a nice thing here is that she designed a community that was going to have different floor plans and square footage to accommodate different income groups, mm -hmm. even different family sizes from a single person to, you know, you could have a townhouse that would have two bedrooms and maybe an in-law suite, uh, so you could have an extended family living there. That is a positive about her plan here. but. What's less positive about her plan, or the whole thing, urban renewal, is that it it wasn't designed to provide replacement housing for the folks who got displaced. The truth is, is the complex of where they live was abandoned, right? You had I, I can only speak for Tyler House, but with Tyler House, the problem was management. Management did not upkeep the building. Management did not provide a secure way for the residents to live. Granted, people do destroy things, and this is with any complex. You know, like if you ran out of college kid and they had a party, you know, like and they destroyed the place, you kicked them out, right? Like there are measures in which you handle people who um, disrespect the space, right? And that wasn't taken care of in Tyler House. That part wasn't taken care of and the maintenance of the building was not taken care of. Of course it was a complaining. Of course it was in the tenant association at the time. But it was the communication with the management and the association. It was the lack of care for the tenants and how they lived. I mean, you can ask anybody like, hey, they want us out. And same thing with Dixon Court, the same way with, with, with how even Temple Court and, and, and that situation, how that happened, how that went down, you know, like it's right now it's prime real estate, just like how Dixon Court was prime real estate and how 
the city decided to, hey, we want to make your life better by moving you out. The marker continues to read, the relocation of 23,500 Southwesterners was an enormous job. Many who were financially able left Southwest when urban renewal plans became public. Workers with the Redevelopment Land Agency helped others find affordable housing. In the 1960s, the Washington Housing Association reported that 16% had moved to Southeast, 27% to Northeast, and 15% Northwest. Only 12% returned to Southwest. So you had 100% people and only 12% returned. That is, that's, that's how it is. Unfortunately, D.C. has a history of displacing low-income people. And it's repeating itself. So here's, here's more of the <laughs> walking tour. Like, well, if you can afford to come back and leave, you're fine. You know, you're not going to be, you're not going to be um, discriminated against by race. Mm -hmm. But I mean, economically, if you're living in Dixon Court, there's no way you can afford. Uh -uh. There's no way. I mean, it, it like tiny minority of people who might have been living here before urban renewal ended up coming back. But what's kind of neat is folks who did move in, a lot of them I think were very idealistic and kind of progressive and they wanted to be part of this new way of living as it was perceived at that time. Mm -hmm. So one thing I've always loved about Southwest is you that- You mind Anna? Yeah, no, is, is racially integrated and it's been economically integrated. It may be getting less like that these days, but when I first moved here, I really liked that about it. I discovered that. I didn't, I just needed an apartment by the Metro that would <laughs> let me have three cats. Um, and I found one here. And then as I started to live here and walk around, I realized, oh, this is, um, this is a little different than other neighborhoods in Washington. Where are you from again? Before I moved here, I was living in Atlanta. Like Atlanta or the suburbs of Atlanta? No, Decatur, like Decatur. Okay. But down by Emory. Okay. Okay. But, so what was cool about, when I, I moved to Atlanta from New England, from Connecticut, and what was really cool about moving to Atlanta is I had never, ever lived any place that had a huge black middle class or even a black elite, because mm -hmm. Atlanta had that mm -hmm. and has it even more now. And then to come here and realize, whoa, it's the same it's here. It's the same here. That's, wow. And I've lived here now so long that it's very strange to go to other cities and not and realize that for, you know, Caucasian people say, I have a lot of relatives who live in um, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And for them, African-American means poor. Mm -hmm. That's their experience. That's 
and it's funny because I, I mean, I grew up here, so that was the norm. And yeah. then when I went and I lived in Boston, that was not the norm. Mm-hmm. And it, it was off-putting. It was mm-hmm. discouraging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't. So this is the new building that Monument Realty. Um, when I do my walking tour, I do say to folks, look, I understand where he's coming from mm-hmm. with wanting to do this. To give you some context of what we're looking at, this is the same building that sits between Potomac Place Tower and the Capitol Park townhomes on I Street. So we're on the other side of it. And you look how much building he got, and he, what he did was he eliminated surface parking, and he eliminated a beautiful Dan Kiley landscape. I, I mean, he just did, which is sad. But now... There's probably, I don't know, 300 units in there. I don't know. Right by a metro station. Right by Safeway. Right by, you know, this is good, right? We want this in the city. But it comes at a cost because it you lost some of the integrity of the original plan. At this point of the walk, we hit Capitol Park townhomes. They're actually condos now. I mean, they're townhomes, yes, but they're condos now. Um, And we are looking across the parking lot of uh, one of the townhomes. And then we walk into this alcove and it's just, just like little viewpoints that we will mention throughout this conversation. Yeah, so see... These. And even the ideal of having garages. Right? Yes, I know. That's yeah. But of course, it's this early '60s, so the the car is is still is, part of is them. dominant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All of the um, urban renewal era, even the multifamily buildings, all have underground parking. That's one thing about Southwest is if you if you live in one of the urban renewal buildings, you probably have parking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she designs these that have garages. Um, but then you'll see as we go in here, um, they don't, mostly don't have garages. And one thing about Southwest that makes it unique is that you have these cul-de-sacs. You yeah. have these dead-end streets. Yes. So it makes it quiet. Yes. And that's, she didn't like that in the end. She thought. What, the cul-de-sac? That it was so quiet. What she wanted to have be part of her design. Because look at this is really this is this is like a village. Yeah, it is. So she wanted to put amenities. She wanted there to be cafes or a little shop, places for people to go. And she would she wasn't allowed. I don't know if the zoning said no, you can't do it. Yeah. Um, but she was very, very disappointed by that because she felt like then this didn't really reach its potential as a community because then you had to walk to the Waterside Mall for stuff, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, it depends where you live here, but like it's going to be a, a seven to 10 minute walk maybe. And in a city, like think Jane Jacobs, that kind of thinking about a city, that's almost too far. It should be like right outside your door or down the block to go to do that. So she was... Again, she was really disappointed. 
So you can see like in this one, you enter, this is a three level, you enter below and then you go up. But then if you go, um, it's a fun view. But of course, see there's parking. Mm -hmm. So these folks, you get parking, but then depending on what you think about surface parking, probably when this opened, it just seemed like, well, first you would have parking. Yeah. And nowadays you would never do this, would you? No, you would put another building in the middle of here. Yeah. And put a I mean, look, like, because look how big this is. Mm -hmm. You could put a really big building here. Mm -hmm. So there's pressure on the urban renewal projects here to, to, Take every square inch yep. of land and build as densely as you can. Yeah. All right. Yeah. This is. I love that she did this because now it's like there's people living. This is like space. And then, oh, let's go into another part, another world back here. And then, of course, when you are thinking about Dixon Court and the alley houses, you know, you're going back off a main street into a world and it's just blows my mind that that's kind of what she created mm -hmm. even this this is this is original yeah. this is yeah yeah this pergola yeah yeah this is mm -hmm. and how it's it's somebody's yes it's the entrance to someone's house well look this is just so charming mm -hmm. it's very european to get you and look yeah, that's how you enter. Mm -hmm. Somebody's backyards. Mm -hmm. This is another, so this is another. Of hers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know, man, but it's so nostalgic being back here because um, this was a really nice place to live as a black student. It is, because it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not in the city anymore. No. You're not. No. You're really not. It's really quiet back here. And we're next to a highway. I know. We're next to 395. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. I live, yeah, where that, where that gray storage thing is. That was my apartment. So look, my, so my landlady, she had that nice deck off her living room and kitchen. Then the bedrooms were on the second floor, and then she had this rental unit for me to be in. It was nice. Cool. It used to be a playground, a little playground. Um, and that kind of didn't survive. I always like this one too, with the roof deck. But then just that she decided, okay, we're gonna use, I'm gonna, put the brick, but then also have, well, not cast iron, but. Mm -hmm. And then this one, like you also enter from the ground floor and up you go. So this one, yeah, it's enter the ground, is that it? Or that, well, that's their English basement. And then you go in there, bedroom level, and you go up to where? Mm -hmm. Living room and dining room. People used to, um, when I moved here in 1994, if I would have people over, 
I would often get calls from the Safeway payphone. I can't find you. Right. Where do I? How do I? I don't even know where to go. It's like they would need a map. But I can really understand, how she received a claim. Because this is kind of a cut above when you think of like a townhouse community. They don't do this. No. They don't do, they don't, this isn't, this should, this should be taught. This is not, at least for me. Yeah, no one does this anymore. At least for me. Like, I don't, I don't know. No. Can we go? Yeah. You know, I've kind of gotten accustomed to, I sort of like the city feel, like being on a street with traffic. But man, like if you wanted to just uh, retire into the quiet life, this is where you, this is where you come. This is where you should come. And you don't want, you don't feel like you need huge amount of space. Mm -hmm. This is where you come. But there's another one of her high rises. So and straight back. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, that used to be a church. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, we're gonna That is one of the older buildings in the neighborhood that escaped being knocked down during urban renewal. And I'm blanking on the name of what church that was. It was empty for a long time, and now it's a kind of arts nonprofit. When it first reopened and got painted like that, it was called Blind Wino. And now it's called, I can't remember what it's called now. But you can have events in there and they have exhibits. And it's, I think, anticipating next to it, behind it, is the former Randall School, Randall Junior High which was the junior high school for African-American kids. And then Jefferson Junior High at 7th and G was for Caucasian kids. So both the buildings are still here in the neighborhood. And the, the Jefferson is what is used as a middle school. Randall has been empty before I moved here, but it, this is probably 10 years ago at least, it was purchased by uh, this family based in Miami called the Rebels. And they have an art museum there. What's it called? The Rebel Collection? And they, they bought the Capitol Skyline Hotel. They still own that. Then they acquired the Randall School property, and they want to turn that into a very contemporary, cutting-edge art museum and have housing around it, probably, I don't know, some retail. And their plan has been approved. I don't know why they're not doing it but I'm sure that the people in the church are hoping that they'll get some bounce from whatever art initiative is going on there even that she painted them had them all painted different colors wait this isn't they this is like original uh-huh well uh -huh. original is yeah, so you can't change that. Okay. You have to keep 
paint color. That's original. I wonder how the cover is here. Have you seen it? Like the association? Not for a long time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because it's an association, am I right? Am yes. I this, yes. It became an association or was. No, it's what? was but what's interesting it's 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 different now I could be this may not be true anymore but it's a series of different communities because different entities own the high-rises right well now and then yeah, yeah. and like those the, the townhouses that are next cheek by jowl to the monument realty building they used to be their own townhouse entity and then these guys, like these townhouses here, they were their own entity when I lived here. Mm -hmm. And that's been a long time since mm -hmm. I lived here. I don't know how it is now. I don't know how it is now. This did get historically designated, I believe, as a result of what happened with Monument Realty mm -hmm. Guy. Can we walk that way? Mm -hmm. Oh, there, you can see the school. Who's waiting? For the rebel. I don't know what they want to do to it. Holding on to it, I guess? Until the bigger I mean, buyer comes expensive. by? I mean, that's... I don't know. Like, I mean, it's huge. It's huge. And then, you know, that Remember uh, Mayor Bowser? She pulled this off. She said we're going to put family shelters. Mm -hmm. What, like all over in all the different? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So that's ours. That's ours. Oh, that's it. It's a nice building. And uh, I would say it's a new building. Yeah. Yeah. You can see it. Oh yeah, I see it. I see it. I don't think it's all done yet. But I, I was not aware of any big stink in the neighborhood about having that building. Well, probably because it, you know, it's on the edge. Mm -hmm. But still, I really, I'm glad we have it. Okay, we're going through here. Oh, yeah. Yes, when you think about how many buildings did she design in Southwest? I mean, it's down there, too. And yeah. I mean, it's over more than a dozen. Like, just even apartment tower buildings, let alone all the townhouses. Because she, I mean, she's got all the stuff here in Capitol Park. She's got Harbor Square. Mm -hmm. And then she did um, a, a building on 6th Street. That's a rental building. Hi, Pumpkin. Hey. <laughs> Irish, Irish, uh, Australian, Hi. Japanese. Yes. Yeah. Oh, look at you, sweetheart. Oh, so incredibly friendly. Yeah. <laughs> Takes you hours to walk, right? <laughs> she can care less. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, no. Thank you. But, but, but I do think it must be more than a d
wasn't happy with that, excited about that one, but, um, because just in Capital Park, there's one, two, three, four, five towers in Harbor Square. Well, Harbor Square is like a big U-shaped thing. But what's cool about Harbor Square is there were three late 18th, early 19th century federal era houses that were on the National Register. So they couldn't get bulldozed down in urban renewal time. So Clothiel Woodard Smith designs Harbor Square around them and incorporates them hmm. into it. Do you mind if I kidnap you and drive you to <laughs> where, no, no, where I used to live so you could see her property? Oh, I don't know I if you know. have time. I don't today. Okay. I actually have to go pick up my daughter from school at 2.30, but I would love to see Hey listeners, I have an exciting announcement. I decided to launch a membership program for the show where you have a chance to support me and the show directly. I love creating this show and it means the world to me that you all tune in to keep hearing me week after week. But it takes an immense amount of time and energy to produce. I want to keep the show going and I want to invest in its growth. And I also want you to become a partner with me in this journey. That's why I'm excited to give you a chance to officially become a supporter of the show at glow.fm slash archispolly, A-R-C-H-I-S-P-O-L-L-Y, or by clicking the link in the show notes. It's quick and easy. It takes less than 30 seconds and just takes clicking a link in the show notes and using Apple or Google Pay. You don't have to create any new logins and you can contribute as much or as little as you like. If this show is part of your day or week and you like what I'm doing, then visit glow.fm slash archespolly, all one word, and support me and the show in any way you can today.